morning, uh, and I feel so refreshed, and I feel so rejuvenated, and I feel very confident that, uh, that I will return to Ecuador and, and, uh, with renewed strength uh, to carry on. And, and, and you guys are part of that. You guys are all part of that, your prayers and your encouragement. And so I, I want to, to thank you for your partnership in the gospel here in Central PA, uh, as well as in Latin America and throughout the world with the other missionaries that Living Water supports and is involved with. Uh, so we're beginning Advent season where we celebrate the arrival of our Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago uh, with his birth. And every uh, service in the Advent season, as my father, Pastor Mike, mentioned, is we're going to be focusing on a specific theme. And the theme that I will share with you this evening is the theme of hope. The Webster's Dictionary, as I was preparing for this, for this message, uh, it defines hope uh, in the following way. Hope is to desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. When I looked at the Bible, when I looked at uh, the usages of hope in, in the Bible, the term always carries an element of expectation. The Dictionary of Biblical Themes describes hope as a confident expectation of the future, describing both the act of hoping and the object hoped for. When grounded in God, hope provides the motivation to live the Christian life in the face of trouble. One of the many uh, reasons I am so thankful for, for God's word and why I need to be more thankful for it and treasure it more is because God's word in his, in his infinite wisdom, God's word speaks to all of us uh, in every um, aspect of what it means to be human. It speaks to us in our pain. It speaks to us in our joy. It speaks to how we ought to um, live as a, as a married couple. It speaks to people that are, that are single. It, it speaks to the wide range of emotions of what it means to be human. And of course, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, knows what it means to be human. And this and hope is something that all of us have experienced, or hope, or the lack of it. This is something that, that resonates with us. And as I was preparing, I remember in my own, my own life personally, um, about 10 years ago, I had just graduated from high school. I was attending a local community college during the day, and at night I was uh, working in a warehouse. I was uh, loading trucks, and God really uh, worked on my heart that year. That was uh, uh, the year right after high school, my first year of college. And uh, through, um, through meeting with Pastor Andrew, our, one of our former uh, pastors, um, uh, back in two, 2010, went for meeting with him with once a Tuesday, uh, once, a, once, a, once every Tuesday, once every week for, for several weeks. Uh, God just really began to change my heart and, and grow in my faith and and long story short, I, I began to develop a desire to study Spanish and to pursue cross-cultural ministry. Uh, and in order to do that, there was a school in Ohio, a Christian liberal arts school, that, that I, I was like, I want to check this out. I'd like to go to it. And uh, so in uh, January or February of 2010, I, I applied and I was accepted. And uh, I was ready to go, uh, all set for the August of, of 2010. But the problem is, is that I still had to wait at this time. I still had to wait several months before I could begin my studies at this college. And um, 
this, uh, my, why, what I was doing in community college was necessary, but I wasn't exactly studying anything that I was particularly interested in or passionate about. I was studying these, these uh, general courses and, uh, and in, in the evenings, I, I was, uh, I was in, in, whenever it was really cold in the warehouse, I, it was cold and I was loading boxes into these trucks and the men that I was, that I was working with were not, were not friendly. They, they spoke uh, very foul language and there was a lot of crude jokes and not, just not a lot of kindness or sympathy. And it was just day in and day out, it was just, I was tired. I was tired and I was just like, I cannot wait till I can go to Cedarville and study. But by God's grace, I endured. I endured because I had hope. During that period of time, when I was uh, trying to get my, some of my general coursework out of the way and save money uh, for going away to a bigger four-year school, I had hope that, you know what? I need to do what I need to do now because I know that a greater thing is coming in the future. And when I, it was cold in the, in, the where, in the warehouse and I was discouraged and tired and I just would remember there's a point to this. I need to keep persevering and I, because I had hope. And so um, that is just an element from my own life of hope. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. This is our text uh, this evening as we focus in on this theme of hope. Uh, but before I read this portion of God's word, I would like to give a brief overview of the context. Uh, the book of Isaiah was obviously written by the prophet Isaiah. This was uh, an Israelite prophet who prophesied in the 8th century before uh, Christ's birth. Uh, Isaiah was living uh, in a very tumultuous and a very difficult time in Israel's history. Due to the sin of the Israelites, there was a division in the kingdoms between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Isaiah was living in this southern kingdom in the midst of this division, in the midst of this very difficult time. But in order to better understand Isaiah's immediate context, we need to understand the broader historical setting of the Old Testament. We know from our study that, that's been going on here at Living Water through Genesis and the patriarchs, uh, this familiar storyline that God uh, chose the nation of Israel as his special people, as his vehicle to uh, work uh, redemption and healing in a fallen world. We know in Genesis 12 that uh, uh, the Lord made a covenant, uh, made an agreement with Abraham, a covenant that included uh, a land to dwell in. It included uh, numerous offspring and it included a divine blessing, a special blessing from the Lord so that the offspring of Abraham would not only be blessed by the Lord, but would be a blessing to the nations. And as we study the Old Testament, we see how the Lord used and delivered the descendants from Abraham, the Israelites, to carry out his saving purposes in the face of their own sin and in the face of adversity. We know in Exodus, the deliverance from slavery in Egypt through the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus. And then later after the Exodus, uh, the people of God, the, the Israelites were in the desert and they were formed as a nation under God governed by his laws. And then later in Joshua, we see that they actually possess this land. They possess Canaan. 
And then later on, we see the institution, the beginning of, of, of the royalty in Israel, the, the monarchy with, with King David as this, as this ideal king for Israel. But Israel, like many of us oftentimes, continually rebelled against the Lord. They were continually uh, following the gods of the nations uh, around them. And as a result of that, there was division as a form of punishment in their nation. And that is why Isaiah is in the south of this, in the southern kingdom, and he's, and he's prophesying. They've, God's chosen people, they've suffered the consequences of their disobedience, and they're experiencing these consequences. And not only are they, they a divided nation, but they are suffering in the way of the threat from foreign powers, in particular the, the threat at the, in this time was the nation of Assyria, this great imposing world power that was threatening to swallow up Judah. It was a very difficult time. There was a lack of hope in Israel. And Isaiah was continually in his ministry, was continually telling them, warning of God's judgment for their sin. But also in the midst of this threat, God inspires Isaiah to provide the following words of hope to his people. It was not just a message of judgment, it was a message of hope in the midst of this dark period in Israel's history. Please rise out of respect for God's word. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. This is uh, what the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to write. Isaiah writes, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, at the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be bur burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God's word. You may have a seat. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, reminded in this Advent season that uh, Christmas um, is all about you. It's all about uh, Christ. It's all about offering us hope in the midst of, in the most, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of, of of difficult circumstances brought about by our sin. And Father, uh, I know that in my own strength and in my own 
um, and uh, on my own resources. Father, I do not deserve to be up here sharing God's word, but Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray, Father, that you speak uh, your truth um, to us as your people and that our lives will be transformed as a result of that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first uh, point I'd like to bring out from our study in Isaiah 9 is that Jesus Christ is the light of Israel and the nations. I'll read again verses one through two. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Isaiah here is prophesying about the future of Israel, but not only the future of Israel, but also the future of the nations. We see in these first two verses that he's drawing a contrast between the former time and the latter time. The former time in reality is the devastating present that Isaiah is living in. And the latter time is the glorious future that he is describing. But in this prophecy, he's speaking, he's speaking as if he's in the future saying, back in this time, back in this time, in the, in the former time you were in darkness, but in the latter time, more recently, you've experienced a glorious future. We see in the former time that the land of Zebulun and Naphtali has experienced contempt. And in the Hebrew, this has the connotation of, of lightness and insignificance. When we say that something's not, uh, it's, it's light, it, it's, it, it's insignificant. Um, so contempt in the former time. In the latter time, however, glorious. And in the Hebrew, this word translated as glorious, it signifies weightiness and significance. There was once spiritual darkness and unbelief in the former times. But in the latter times, Isaiah writes, there will be a source of light, of hope to those who were in darkness. And the region that he's speaking about in this prophecy, the region of Galilee, Zebulun and Naphtali, they had already experienced Assyrian oppression as he's writing these words. But in spite of this, in spite of this, they had reason for hope because light would be present in the future for these people and for the nations. And who is this light? Of course, it's none other than the person of Jesus Christ. Following uh, Christ's baptism and his success over Satan's temptation in the wilderness at the start of his public ministry, the gospel writer Matthew writes that Jesus fulfills Isaiah's prophecy to the letter. I'll read Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, where Matthew writes in recording his biography of Jesus, and leaving Nazareth, he, being Jesus, went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. 
from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus Christ is the light, the source of hope, not only for this uh, area that Isaiah was prophesying about, but that we know in this day and age for the nations, for all of us. Secondly, Jesus Christ is not only the light that's prophesied about in Isaiah, he is also the king who will save and who will restore his people. I'm going to read verse 3. Isaiah continues on saying, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah here, he's prophesying a time of national growth and prosperity for Israel, which at the time of this prophecy was not a reality at all. Remember, they're a divided kingdom. They're under the threat of invasion, of dominance from from foreign powers, but he's prophesying a time of national growth. He mentions the joy of, of gathering a harvest or dividing spoil after victory in battle, just emphasizing joy in the same way that those who are familiar with agriculture experience joy and, and fullness when you're collecting the harvest. Or it's also drawing the imagery of when a when defeating um, army uh, they take the, they've overtaken the, 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 the people they were fighting against and they divided the spoil. So just, just joy and plenty for the, for the Isaiah's prophesying about this for the people of Israel. Verses four and five, he goes on, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is prophesying a time of relief and deliverance for Israel from the Assyrians, from their immediate, the immediate threat. It's pointing back to the relief and deliverance that Israel has experienced beforehand. He mentions the period, of the, uh, refers to the period of the judges when the Lord used Gideon, one of the judges, and a much smaller force to defeat their enemies at that time. But again, it's not just speaking of peace for, for direct, only for the, the nation of Israel, but it, it's, he's referring to a time of, of peace for Israel and the nations, a time when, when, wars, when wars cease, when peace finally arrives, and the birth of a special child is the one who makes this possible. Verses six through seven, he says, for, going back, saying, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We know that this child, Jesus Christ, is the king. There are several descriptions of this king, of Jesus Christ, in these verses. Wonderful counselor. This king is wise 
He's the supreme counselor, wise above all other counselors as king. He's mighty God. He's, he's, this is a divine king. This isn't merely a, a man. This is a, a divine king. Everlasting father. This is a, a king who will rule in a fatherly and in a compassionate way over his people. And then prince of peace. In place of war, in place of, of, uh, of um, enmity between God and between man and between um, mankind amongst themselves, we see peace, peace between man and God and peace between man and his neighbor. And, and this, is, uh, this is his kingdom of peace. And as the gospel of Jesus Christ, this light, as he transforms the hearts of men and women throughout the world, we are moving closer and closer to the day when the full vision of the hope that Isaiah prophesied about will be realized when Christ returns again, when there's complete relief and deliverance of God's people, when there's complete peace in God's creation, and when there's complete joy and contentment to live under the perfect reign of Jesus Christ. And Jesus' first advent, we're able to experience so many of these blessings, but we're still awaiting their fuller completion upon his return. We have hope in Christ. And like the Israelites during the time of Isaiah, we are a people in need of hope. Why do we need hope? We need hope because of sin. We need hope because of sin and its devastating consequences in our lives, our families, our communities, the nation, and the world. Our primary problem is our own sin between us and God. God's word is crystal clear that our sin separates us from God, from him. Sin is our failure to, to honor, love, and obey God in our actions, and our attitudes, and in our thoughts. And this creates a division, a division between us and God, a, a breaking of the relationship. It's ultimately a problem of, the, of our hearts that we inherited from Adam and Eve, our first parents. And our sin must be punished because God is holy. We need hope because we have no hope. We have no hope apart from, from Christ Jesus. We have no hope we have no hope because of our sin. We are, we are people in need of help from outside of ourselves. And although our sin is first and, and foremost against God, our sin also has consequences in our lives and in the lives of others. And many of you may be experiencing these consequences firsthand. It could be the heartache and the pain of of a marriage that, that it's on the, the verge of falling apart or maybe it's already collapsed and you're going through a, 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 a process of, of putting together the pieces after a painful divorce. It could be the loss of, of a beloved family member due to an illness or an accident. It could be the pain of, of having to relive the abuse that someone inflicted upon you many years ago, but those wounds are still there and you're still experiencing them. It could be the frustration of having to live with, with a chronic pain that bugs you each and every day, or it could be the crushing weight of loneliness and 
of depression and anxiety. The point is that we need hope in the form of salvation from our sin, most importantly, but we also need hope as a form of comfort and strength and healing when we experience its, when we experience its consequences in the ways that I just outlined. But the good news as we begin this Advent season, the good news is that hope has already arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, he was born as an infant, fully man and fully God. Jesus came to live as a substitute, to live in our place. He lived the sinless life, the perfectly obedient life before God that not any one of us could live. He died the death that we deserve to die to cover the payment that sin requires. And he rose again on the third day and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father to show that God accepted his sacrifice for sins. And he will come again one day as a conquering king who will, as we read, rule over the nations and into eternity. And this is the hope that we as Christ followers have in this Advent season. In the midst of, as we celebrate um, the hope that we've received in our salvation, our forgiveness from sin, but even as we're experiencing sin's consequences, we can cling to Christ and his sure victory that will come. And if you are a Christian, if you are a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, rejoice in the hope that is yours. Rejoice, rejoice in that hope. Meditate on God's word and in the truth that in Christ you are forgiven, you are loved, and you are accepted by God the Father. Not only meditate on this for yourself, but share it with others as you're with friends, as you're with family members during this this Christmas season, share the hope that you have with those who don't have hope. And if you're in this room right now and you haven't um, yet turned uh, to faith in Christ, placed your faith in Jesus Christ and in his work for your salvation, I'm here to tell you that hope is available in him alone. And I ask, I ask for you to prayerfully consider the reality and the seriousness of your sin of your heart that is, that is set in, um, in actions and in and mindsets and in desires that go against God's design. Think on that and the reality that, that God is just and God cannot, cannot tolerate, cannot, cannot dwell with sin. But reflect on this good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ already was obedient where we could not be. He died the death in our place that we deserve to die. And he rose again so that we have confidence that through faith in Christ, we too one day will have resurrected bodies and have fellowship with God for eternity. So as I conclude um, for this evening, this is hope. Hope is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let's take this message of hope as we uh, live our lives, as we uh, celebrate Christmas season together. I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to take a couple of minutes to reflect on on God's word and what was shared. And then following that, the ushers will come forward and we will take the our, our tithes and offerings. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that in the same way that uh, Israel was facing a seemingly hopeless situation 
that, Father, you gave them words of hope that we now know is, uh, is found in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that, um, Lord, as in all of our lives and all of the difficulties that we may have and all of the challenges, Father, that we cling to the hope that we have in you because of your grace and because of your kindness to us, Father. And Lord, I pray, I pray that in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, that those who don't have hope, Father, would be able to experience hope in you, Jesus Christ, for the first time and a hope that they can carry on to from now until eternity. I pray this in your name, amen.